Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler, coming to you this week in what is now known as Cornerbrook in Elmastuquag, on ceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. For our Mi'kmaq ancestors, January was the start of the seal season. On the coasts and on islands offshore, they harvested the mammals using harpoons. These days, the seals are coming to us, waddling right up to the front door, as we've seen in international news coverage from Roddington by Arm upon the northern peninsula. What an indignity for this mammal that has served Mi'kmaq people so well providing their skins and meat for our winter survival, now reduced to pests. The unusual behavior by seals has sparked a conversation about seal overpopulation and their impact on distressed cod stocks. That connection may or may not be scientifically accurate, but two things are clear. The harp seal population is healthy, more than 7 million in number. There is an annual quota of 400,000 seals, but fewer than 80,000 of those are taken. The problem, an image problem, that makes it hard to grow the market. Remember Bridget Bardot, Paul McCartney, and all the other protesters who turned the world against the seal hunt. But now there's a new narrative being written about seals, and it has an indigenous angle. Seals are part of indigenous tradition of Mi'kmaq, Inuit, the Sami people in Northern Europe. In Europe, there's a ban on seal imports from Canada, but there's an exemption from Inuit sources. Now, Halibu is getting involved in what may be a new chapter in the seal industry, one with an important indigenous angle. If all goes according to plan, you will be able to buy Halibu seal oil capsules by later this year. The band is working with Carino Processing Limited, the Newfoundland company based in Dildo. Spearheading the project for Halibut is Councillor Brian Dix. There was a sometimes intense discussion of the proposal at the Halibut Council meeting this past Saturday. Dix was able to convince councillors that they should not be put off by the possibility of being targeted by animal rights protesters. In part, it's a revenue opportunity for Halibut, but Brian Dix says there's more to it than that. It's also a chance for Halibut to step up as environmental stewards. The answer to seal overpopulation, he says, is not a cull, but a harvest that makes use of all the seal, just like our ancestors did. Back in the fall, I attended, on behalf of Halibut, the Atlantic Seal Advisory Committee meetings in Moncton, and that was the first time we'd been invited to that table as an indigenous group. Carino is also a member of that organization, and they are a processing seal processing company located in Dildo here in Newfoundland. And they've been active in one form or another for, for well over 50 years. They see the value of an indigenous connection and an indigenous um, partner in an attempt to move markets. The, the big issue right now for us is that, you know, as, as a First Nations, we want to do our part to, to move the agenda. Of, the, of increasing the seal harvest, and to do that requires opening markets, which have been closed you know, since the mid-'80s. So we are talking with Carino about the notion of developing a seal 
seal products, and in particular at this point, a seal oil product that would be an indigenous labeled product. So it would be a Halibut First Nation branded product. And we are now looking at funding through Halibut, through various DFO and other other um, funders to support that initiative. And what that will do is provide us with, with some capital to uh, move forward on a marketing campaign and a, and a whole marketing program, which would involve uh, doing uh, gathering information on consumer uh, acceptance and, and, and who, who are the potential clients for this, customers for this. And then looking at, at various uh, national retailers and perhaps e-commerce platforms, as well as working directly with other First Nations across the country uh, to, to promote a First Nations brand. And the, the whole notion there is that we believe, and we're going to put this to the test, that a, a branded First Nations product will have a level of acceptance and, uh, and be able to, to penetrate the market in ways that the non-Indigenous groups and, and, uh, and manufacturers uh, have not been able to do to, to any great extent. And that's based on Indigenous groups historical connection to see to the sealing industry, its um, connection to tradition and way of life. So what we're doing now is in the pro we're in the process of formalizing that relationship with Carino, between Carino and Halibut, and it will be obviously involving our Halibut Development Corporation being the commercial arm. And we're in the process now of developing a logo and getting a product that we can actually put in front of prospective buyers and um, and uh, see what we can do to increase the market for that product, first of all in Canada and then internationally. And at some point, once we have all of our, I guess, ducks in a row, or maybe seals in a row, huh, yeah. we'll uh, be exercising the, the political capital that we have to encourage Canada to support Indigenous and non-indigenous seal-based products or seal-produced products um, outside of Canada. But first step is to is to grow it at home, and it'll be a sort of a grassroots type of, of a project where we'll start in Newfoundland and Atlantic Canada, and then attempt to move it across the uh, the, the country. So we have a we'll have a pan-Canadian presence, and then look at at international. We feel that you know there there is a, an opportunity there, and by growing the market, then we can that will justify or, or drive an increased harvest of seals. Um, we, uh, we're optimistic and we feel that if if it's uh, successful, it will be great for Halibut in terms of a revenue-generating um, story as well as good for the industry. How do you see this project uh, playing into um, what we might call uh, environmental stewardship and dealing with uh, seals uh, and the situation we're in now? Glenn, I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's important for me to point out that the, the, the top level or the front line of our interest and involvement in this industry is, is not for our own personal gain. We do see that as an opportunity from an economic development perspective, but our, our first line of, of, uh, of interest here is based on what we believe to be a moral and an ethical obligation for, for us as a First Nation here in Atlantic Canada to lend our voice to the to the many voices that are out there right now, uh, when when I sat around the the table in Moncton back in the in the fall, my comments or I guess my introduction as to why we were there and what our interest was was that we believed that by being invited to the table by Canada, what they've given us essentially is political capital, and that we're 
we, we see it as our responsibility and the opportunity to leverage that political capital to promote the agendas and the goals of the National Sealers Association, its processors, harvesters, um, crafters, uh, resellers, and, and other stakeholders. So that was the, I guess, the gist of it, and that's born from the fact that uh, it, it's no surprise to to anybody either in DFO or or in the uh, in the, uh, the, the the public sector that the seal herds have grown to a level that are unmanageable, and they've thrown the whole marine ecosystem out of balance. It's hard to get a, a day go by here where we don't see a picture or a story on on the seals turning up in places where they traditionally haven't been, and uh, we believe that that's based on some of it's based on ice issues, but uh, a lot of it is based on competition for food and and the seals migrating into areas that they don't traditionally go in in search of food, but it's, it's even pushing them up on land. As you know, up in the Roddington area, there's 40 or 50 or 60 seals within the community in people's backyards, something that they've never seen before. There's a science report very recently that uh, suggested that within 30 years, the southern cod, or the, the Gulf cod as it's referred to, uh, would likely be extinct and that the main reason is seal predation. If you go online and take a look at various DFO reports on seals over the last 10, 15 years, there have been a number of studies done on their diet, how much they eat, and the percentage that is related to, to cod, and it could be anywhere from 10 to 50%. And uh, for the gray seals, they they consume up to two tons of, of, um, of food per year. So when you do the math, very quickly you see the, the, the dramatic impact that the herd this size is having. There's been talks about a cull. We, we don't support a cull. I guess we would look at it as a last resort, but what we are interested in as a First Nation Based on, on our environmental stewardship mandate and our promoting of a balanced, in this case, marine ecosystem, we, we are supporting and promoting, you know, the, the highly regulated and sustainable commercial harvest and the respect for the animal or the mammal in this case and full utilization of the seals. So that's where we're coming from on that. And, and we see that we have a voice that uh, can be introduced and written into the, what is becoming a new narrative. On, on seals and the sealing industry. Halibu Councillor Brian Dix. Carino already provides all the seal oil from Newfoundland that goes into the making of seal oil capsules, popular for their high content of healthy omega-3. For Dion Dakins, the CEO of Carino Processing Limited, the indigenous angle could be a game changer in an industry pummeled by protests. He says there is already a sizable market in Canada, and there is the potential to grow with the Indigenous stamp. We have our own brands, and we service, I would say, you know, for refined bleach and deodorized, we're servicing 100% of the market uh, domestically in Canada and uh, on the export side. Um, we see, you know, that Halibut's interest in this um, stemming from, you know, their own uh, interests in, in having or maintaining a balanced ecosystem is, is something I've heard a great deal about. Uh, but we see their interest in branding uh, their own product. So we would continue with our other business streams. We would see this, and hopefully it would be a significant portion in addition. Uh, the current uh, allowable quota for harp seals uh, is about 400,000 animals per year. Uh, we're currently harvesting only a fraction of that at, at 80,000, less than 80,000 per year for the last five years. 
So there is uh, more than ample resource there to see uh, new entrants, uh, to see new marketing efforts to try and place the product uh, place the product in the market. So we would see it something as supplemental to what we're currently doing, and and perhaps if the uh, you know with the right effort and with the right uh, opportunities in international markets, it could become um, a substantial stream in our in our supply to market. And recognizing there's there's lots of resource out there in the ocean. Currently, the uh, the EU ban has a as an Inuit exception. So, if um, I I understand, if the sourcing is uh, from an Inuit uh, community, then those products can be sold in in Europe. So, are, do you see the potential here with a Halibut branded pro, uh, product to be able to uh, get back into the uh, EU uh, market? Well, we would. Certainly recognizing, and, and the exemption itself, while it explicitly um, mentions the Inuit, uh, it is an indigenous exemption. So I think the uh, the Halibut and the team uh, at Halibut have have you know broadly explored that opportunity. It's not something that Carino uh, ourselves have have spent a lot of time um, pursuing. But uh, you know, I'm I'm certain that uh, you know Brian and the team here at Halibut will want to explore every opportunity that's available to them. Um, I think that uh, you know, while while the EU could could be a significant, um, I guess, ground for us to market some product uh, in, I do still think that you know, that largely the Canadian market hasn't been uh, fully exploited, and I think there's lots of opportunity at home. So everything we do is not uh, predicated on accessing the EU, but I think. Uh, just for the purposes of uh, just for the purposes of making sure that we've covered off all the bases, I think that's something that Halibut is going to explore very seriously, and we'd uh, we'd do all our best to uh, to help them do so. Dion Dakins, CEO of Carino Processing Limited. There's one last voice I want to include here. Gary Stenson is head of the Marine Mammal Section of the Federal Fisheries Department. Seals are getting the blame for the distressed cod stocks. At certain times of the year, seals eat as many as 10 pounds of various species of fish every day. Gary Stenson says the seal population has been steady at 7.4 million after having dropped to 2 million in the last century. There will be a new population report this fall on harp seals. But Gary Stenson is reluctant to blame seals for low cod stocks. That, he says, has more to do with too few capelin than too many seals. In the case of harp seals, uh, we have looked at what the impact of that predation is on um, Atlantic cod in the, uh, the NAFO region 2J3KL, what we call northern cod. And we've, we've done that work, and we've looked at what the relative impact of, say, Prey availability, in this case uh, capelin, which are the main prey of of, um, of, of Atlantic cod, uh, the fishery back before they had the moratorium, and and seal predation, and so we've done that analysis, and it, what it turns out is in fact the um, consumption by harp seals of northern cod does not appear to be a, a significant factor in driving cod numbers in that particular case. Uh, what is driving the cod numbers for northern cod seems to be the availability of prey. So where capelin go, that's where cod go. Mm. And what we see is that capelin dropped around the, around the late 1890s, which is the early 1990s, uh, sorry, late 
80s and the early 1990s, we saw that the Kaplan dropped at the same time that the cod collapsed. And since then, as Kaplan have recovered a little bit, cod's recovered. When Kaplan goes down, cod goes down. So we see a very close tie between the um, availability of Kaplan and uh, the the biomass of or survival of, of cod. But could you not also not say that, uh, well, maybe the seal seals are eating the capelin, uh, which make them otherwise uh, not available for the cod, and that might have an effect on the cod? Yes, and that's a really good point. And that's one of the other things you need to consider, whether or not they could be having an indirect effect. But we've also looked at that. And it turns out, in fact, that, that um, capelin abundance seems to be tied to environmental conditions. And what seems to be happening is that the um, the um, amount of capelin that you have is tied very much to changes in the environment and particularly things like changes in the ice. Um, the mechanism appears to be that when ice melts in off of, say, southern Labrador, northeast Newfoundland, when that ice melts, you'll get a triggering of the phytoplankton bloom, the, you know, the, the spring bloom. And that spring bloom becomes the, the uh, food for uh, calamus, which is a little zooplankton. And that calamus is the main prey of capelin. So what we find is that if the timing of the spring bloom is, is normal, then you've got good calamus and good capelin, and as a result, you also get good Atlantic cod. But if that timing's either early or late, that it melts happening and that bloom occurs out of sync, sort of like a match-mismatch type of idea, if it's not matched with the timing of when the, the zooplankton need that, that uh, phytoplankton, then you end up having very low capelin abundance. You have low cod abundance. And we also see that it's timed with very low uh, reproduction in harp seals. So what seems to be happening is that the capelin is being driven by changes in the, their environment, but that because it's such an important prey for so many different species, when that capelin numbers are low, you're also seeing low uh, cod numbers. You're seeing uh, problems with, with reproduction in harp seals. You're seeing uh, impacts on other predators of capelin as well, like seabirds and, and other things. So there's actually the the capelin are the stars in this uh, story, even though the, uh, the cod and the harp seals uh, get the attention. For the area up off of Newfoundland there, you know, on the northeast coast there, the Capelin are the key to, to virtually everything that's going on there. Gary Stinson, head of the DFO Marine Mammal Section. And that's it for the show. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Bay of Islands Radio in Norris Point and Rocky Harbor. Tune in on the Voice of Bombay. And in St. John's, catch us on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.